Well, there's been several things that have happened in the last five or six weeks that have parallel with some things I've been thinking about for a while. God laid a, a concern or a thought on my heart quite a while ago. This verse in the Bible, and it'll, be, it'll come out in the message, but it says, whose God is their belly. And that struck me. What does that mean? Whose God is their belly? One of, the, one of you brethren came to me and to, I think, Brother Jay and, and suggested a message not long ago that lined up with that very well. And I will start, so that's sort of where this message came from, something the Lord laid on my heart and something this brother brought to us. I want to start this message with two stories that, the two stories that made me really, really brought this together. The title of the message is, How Far Will It Take You? And these two stories, we'll start out with this morning. I'm going to be intentionally vague. I'm sorry about that, but some of you, most of you probably know at least one of these stories. Some of you might know about both of them. They're very real and very close to, a lot, to some of us. First is about a young man at a local business. <clears throat> I've met this, or I've seen this young man. I did not know him personally. But the business, what, the business he was in, he had a lot of time on his hands. He was a young man, I'm thinking probably low 30s. He had a lot of time on his hands. And I don't know that the young man is a Christian. And evidently, this young man started giving in to his fleshly desires to the point that he put a surveillance camera in an adjoining business in an effort <clears throat> to get videos that would feed his fleshly desires. This young man never thought he would get caught. This young man could have seen anything he wanted online. We realize that about the internet. He could see anything he desired. But it's never enough. The flesh cannot be satisfied. So he went a little further. No matter how much we feed the flesh, it always wants more. This young man never envisioned losing his job, his reputation, and I don't know how much more before it's all said and done. Second story is much worse, and I'll keep it very brief. A young man with a wife and family accidentally took his own life in pursuit of a sensual thrill. I'm sure he never thought that, that that thrill would cost him his life. But it did. Those stories both happened in the last six weeks. My question to you is, how far will your flesh take you? 
What are you willing, what am I willing to pay for the pleasures of sin for a season? For text this morning, let's go to Galatians 5. Most of you know Galatians 5 ends with the, the uh, flesh and the spirit. And that's what, <coughs> excuse me, that's what the message is on this morning. I want to start with the first, with Galatians 5, verses 13 to 15. I'll read that this time. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. We're called to freedom. And that's what human nature wants is freedom. The flesh wants freedom. Freedom to do whatever it pleases. But that freedom is not freedom. The freedom we're talking about here is freedom to walk in the spirit and not follow the flesh. This verse has a do and a don't. I, actually in reverse order, don't and a do, but I, I, oft, I enjoy Paul's, often in Paul's writings, he gives us both of those together, a don't and a do. He says, don't serve self. Do serve others. Use not, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That's the first key to conquering flesh. Forget about me and serve others. As humans, we have a desire to find fulfillment in something. That something is naturally our own fleshly desires, and we will follow those desires unless we make a conscious effort to, to find fulfillment somewhere else. And Paul is saying here, to find that fulfillment in serving others instead of ourselves. Now there's many ways that we can feed the flesh. The two men in our stories were feeding their flesh through sensual pleasures. But there's many other ways we can feed the flesh. Basically our five senses can all be defiled. Five, five senses are touch, taste, smell, sight, and sound. And hearing. <clears throat> Any of these senses can be used in a way that is not pleasing to God. And by doing that, causes to sin. And we're living in a time when all our senses are being bombarded with illicit pleasures. And if we start to give in, as we've heard, there's no end to how far it will take us. Now, I know that we all understand the dangers, at least to some degree, that can be found on the Internet. And please understand, this is not a message on technology but I have to address this at least part, partly in this message. We understand the dangers that are found in the Internet, but I'm afraid we are becoming calloused <clears throat> to how dangerous they really are. For an example, this young man that lost his life probably <clears throat> would never have heard about how to do what he was attempting to do had it not been for the internet and the availability of that knowledge. 
I don't know if he had access to the web at all. I can't say that he did. But somehow he heard about what he was doing. And when I heard about it and what happened, I was like, I'd never, ever heard of that before. The very thing that he was attempting to do has taken over a thousand lives a year for people to make the same mistake he did. How do people find out about something like this? I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it was somehow through the internet. Does that make the internet bad? And I say no, absolutely not. It is simply a medium through which we can more easily feed our flesh. And because of the availability of information, new ideas about how to please the flesh have no limit. It's all right there. And while we're on that subject, I want to touch on one more. Now, granted, I don't know much about the subject. That subject is the dark web. Most of you probably have never accessed the dark web. Praise the Lord. The internet that most of us use has enough danger on it. But even it has a side that is pretty much given over to wickedness and crime, and it's called the dark web. I don't know, I know very little about the internet, in fact, about the dark web. In fact, I didn't, I mean, you'd, I've heard about it, but I did just a little bit of research, just enough to know what it is. Basically, the dark web is simply a, a series or a sector of information that is only accessible with, with um, different browsers. You'll, you can't, through most browsers, you can't access the dark web. The dark web is basically a place where everyone is completely anonymous. And because it is completely anonymous, people have no reserve. There's no, you can put whatever you want and there's not, you're not going to get any retribution. It's a virtual Babylon, if you will. So can the dark web be a good thing? You can make an argument that it can be. In the little bit of research I found, one of the things or that I did, one of the things that was brought up was that some people that are um, in, in suppressed countries can use the dark web for communication and for, um, to get their voice out because it's anonymous. So yes, in a repressed country, Christians could use the dark web to communicate because they're anonymous on it. But in America, we have every avenue of communication there is available to us. We have no reason to be on the dark web at all. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6, Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. 
if we're needing to hide what we're doing, if we're needing to be anonymous, especially here in America, we probably don't need to be doing what we're doing. I just say, I just know enough about the dark web. We need to leave it alone. Stay away from it. I've never been on it. Don't want to go there. But the real problem does not come from the Internet. We like to blame all these other things, these other forces. That's not the problem. The real problem comes from inside of me, inside of you. It's our flesh. Our flesh and its desires. Those young men did not go where they went because of some outside force. It is because they followed an inside desire. So what I've talked about so far is pretty much related to sensual things. But the flesh has many ways of controlling us and indulging itself. I want to list a few and a few of the dangers with them. Music. <clears throat> Music gives us all kinds of illicit pleasures. I've heard that at some, a lot of concerts that they will put the volume level at over 100 decibels. Well, I don't know. I forget the, the decibel count. I shouldn't say that. It's extremely high decibel count. I heard one figure, they said it was, it was a little bit like, a, it was almost like a jet, passenger jet hovering at like a couple hundred feet above you. But there's a reason for that volume. That, the sheer volume gives those listening to it a dopamine hit. Love songs energize our emotional desires. Christian songs that give us a false sense of connection to God. It's reality. There's rap songs, and I shouldn't just say rap. There are songs that have been described as audio pornography, and the list could go on. We can tantalize our ears with just about anything that can be imagined very easily. Music can feed the flesh. Food and drink. The Bible talks often about gluttony. But gluttony, we tend to think of it as simply as just eating way too much food. Yes, that is a big problem in our life, in our world. But gluttony, is, that's, that doesn't totally entail gluttony. Gluttony is simply allowing food, the way the Bible is describing gluttony, is food controlling us. Causing us to eat or drink in a way that is harmful to our bodies. God has been very clear that our bodies are his temple. And he wants us to take care of that body. Of our physical bodies. He does not want us to do things to our body that is harmful. Now we can go off the deep end on either way on that. But he wants us to live a life of moderation and carefulness. And not let the flesh and its desires control us. The third area, and we could, there's a lot of different areas we could go into, but the third area I thought of was selfish ambitions. Selfish ambitions can control us in way more ways than we can cover today. But it can be any kind of a goal that keeps us from following God fully. It's the flesh against the spirit. It's what my flesh wants. It's what I want instead of what God wants. It may not be a wrong thing, but if it is outside of God's will for us, it is a wrong thing. The root of it all is our flesh and its desires. God gives us a very clear warning through Paul 
In Philippians 3, 18 and 19, it says, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. This is the verse that was weighing on my mind, whose God is their belly. So what is Paul referring to by whose God is their belly? So when you have an intense desire for something, where do you feel that desire? At least for me, I can't talk for you, but for me, when I am tempted to do something, it feels like it comes from the very inner part of me. It just radiates, I just want to do that, or I want that thing. That temptation kind of comes from our inner being. That's what Paul is describing as your belly. You're the center of who you are. So when we give into that, we're feeding our flesh. And we've listened to the flesh instead of listening to the spirit. And this is the scary part about that. Paul describes that as becoming the enemy of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. So I hope we're getting a picture here this morning of how bad flesh is. How much the flesh destroys us. How easily it takes us down the wrong road. So what does Paul mean by an enemy of the cross of Christ? We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning. But the world is watching us. If, he sees, if they see us as Christians living for our, for our flesh and doing the very things that they do and know are wrong, if we do those things... What do we have to offer them? The power of the cross is a victorious life. And when we as Christians demonstrate a life of failure and of not living in victory, we've just shown the world the cross doesn't work. And we've just destroyed the power of the cross. What a terrible thought that my life can destroy what Christ did on the cross. So what is the answer? How do we keep from following the flesh into destruction and hell? Let's read the rest of our text verses. Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But, if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, of such like, of the which I tell ye before, as I have also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. 
So the question I just asked is, <clears throat> how do we, <clears throat> excuse me, how do we keep from following the flesh? <clears throat> well, we had our first answer in verse 13. And that is focused on serving, serving others instead of serving ourselves. We get our sights off of me and what I want and hear and listen to others and what they, the needs of those around us. That's step one. The second step, though, and the most powerful answer is found in verse 16. Follow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Those two things are polar opposites. It reminds me, we were, I was down at a friend's place um, yesterday, helping him trim his house. And he had these really cool new latches. He had some doors that weren't, that weren't a knob. They were just a, they popped shut and open. These new, it used to be, <clears throat> you always had this ball catch. There was this little ball that would, would roll, the door would come shut and it would roll and pop into a detent. It was just spring-loaded and you just, like that. Well, these were just, there was nothing there. Here there's a magnet up in the jam and there's a magnet in the door. You swing the door shut, and those magnets just boom, and they align. Well, he said, he, first one he put in, he put in backwards. He said, that door wouldn't go shut for anything. <laughs> well, you know what? That's spirit and the flesh. They, are, they fight each other. They don't mesh. <clears throat> Sorry, here I lost my spot in my, in my notes. I get ahead of myself. We get all mixed up here. So how do we know what spirit we are following? Are we following our flesh or are we following the spirit? Paul gives us a list of things that the flesh leads us into. If the thing that we desire to do is leading you towards one of these sins, or towards any sin to be a matter of fact, <clears throat> you can be assured it is not coming from the Holy Spirit. It is a fleshly lust. And I know that that seems so simple. But I know from my own experience, the flesh has a way of making everything look just okay. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to think through what we want to do and say, wait, where does that take me down the road? You see, the flesh is really, really good at deceiving us. Another test to ask yourself is how you will feel if you follow this desire. Will it bring peace and joy? Or guilt and shame? Do you feel like you need to hide your actions? Or can you be open with others about them? We generally, most things that the flesh wants to do, we want to hide. Generally. We want people not to really know what's going on in our lives when it's, when it's a fleshly action. But when it's led by the Spirit, God gets the glory. It's not about us anymore. We're just doing what God is directing us to do. So there's a battle in the heart of every true Christian. And that battle is between the flesh and the spirit. Verse 24 tells us that if we are Christians, we have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Does that mean that we won't be tempted with fleshly desires anymore? Or that we are incapable of giving in to the flesh? 
I say no. We will be tempted with the flesh. We may have crucified it, but it does not like to stay dead. I think it's a daily, Paul said, I die daily. And I believe that's what he was talking about. Dying to the flesh daily. We still deal with the flesh. I know for myself, it's daily and oftener. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. It's an ongoing. That lusteth is not lusted. It's not past tense. It's a present and ongoing tense. It's a continual thing that happens in our lives. We deal with this battle between the flesh and the spirit. So maybe you're wondering if you've ever even crucified the flesh. Have you really experienced? I don't know where you're at in your life. Sometimes we're at a place, we fight battles to the point we give in and give in and give in and think, wait a minute, is, am I even a Christian? At least I've been there. I don't know if you have or not, but I have. I would simply ask you this. If you are at that point, are you still fighting? You see, when we give up and quit fighting the flesh and just give in, what the flesh wants, we do it. That's when we start to walk away from God. If you're in the battle, you're in the battle. If you're fighting the flesh, there's still life. Don't give up. If you truly desire to follow the Holy Spirit, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, that desire to know God and to follow God is a gift from God. Don't give up. God wants you to live in victory. But the only way to live in victory is to follow His Spirit instead of our flesh. It is a very real and intense battle. And that battle is different for each of us. Our weaknesses are different. There's some that are very common. And all, well, all are common to man. There's no sin that you're tempted with that is, not com- un- is uncommon to man. But different people fight different battles. And Satan knows very well where your battle lines are, where your weak points are. And he knows very well how to use the flesh to defeat us and God's purposes. The goal of every Christian should be to surrender ourselves to the point that our will is completely aligned with God's will. We call it total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I know this is not a new thought to any of anybody. But is it a reality in my life that every area of my life is completely surrendered? When that temptation hits, it's just like, nope. I see what it is for what it is. I'm not going there. Lord, it's yours. That's a daily battle. At least it is for me. Now, just so you understand how real the battle is, I'm going to share what happened to me Friday. I was helping a friend, same house, finish the trim there in his house. But I was working by myself. Of course, this message was on my mind, thinking about it off and on. and I hadn't really 
got much down on paper yet, and I was trying to kind of arrange my thoughts and think through what needed, what I what I'd like to address, and kind of seeking the Lord's will on it, praying about it. But I believe the devil knows when we're about our Father's business, and we'll do whatever he can to distract us. So I was, I, <clears throat> as I was working, I had this just sort of out of the blue, this completely ungodly thought popped into my head. Just, and I was like, wait a minute, where did that come from? And all of a sudden it hit me. Well, you were just thinking about your sermon, just thinking about your message. This is a direct attack. And I just, and I believe in the power of audible prayer. Satan can't read your thoughts. I believe, I don't think Satan can read your thoughts. He can put things there for you to think. He can throw things at you, but it helps to say it, at least whisper it, because he can hear you. And I did, I whispered a prayer, it's like, Lord, I'm sorry I, that ever entered my mind. I realized what it is, I rebuked Satan, and it was gone. I can't remember what that thought was, it's gone. But I know at the time, I was like, almost embarrassed that I ever think such a thing. Just like that, my mind was clear. I could focus on my work and I was thinking again of the message. And it wasn't 30 minutes. And another instance popped in my mind. It's something that really happened to me. Struggle that I'd been through several years ago. Something that happened between me and someone else. And that thing started weighing on my mind. I kept thinking about it. And I started getting irritated about it. And it just started just, man. And all of a sudden, I realized, I remembered what had just happened 30 minutes before. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Lord, that's not right. That was dealt with. That was forgiven. It's over. It's gone. It's taken care of. I have no right to be thinking about that and bringing it up again. And I realized it was what it was. It was Satan's attack trying to get me distracted again. And again, I asked the Lord to forgive me and rebuke Satan. And again, it was gone and I had peace. And I don't know if the third thing was attack from Satan or not, but it felt like it. Before I left work Friday evening, I had a headache coming on. By the time I got home, I felt bad. I did not feel good. I was tired. I could not focus. I tried to sit down and work on the message and I just didn't get very far because I was just feeling, just felt rotten. The battle is real. Satan does not want us doing his father, the father's business. And he does not want you addressing things in your life that need to be addressed. He will throw anything he can at you to keep you bound in whatever sin or whatever you're struggling with. He doesn't want you to sit down and think about what you're going through and say, wait a minute, this is not where God wants me. He wants you to sit down and think, poor me, I can't help it. That is not God's spirit speaking into your life when that happens. God wants us to live in freedom. Praise God for his mercy and grace. He gives even when we don't deserve it. By Saturday morning, I was feeling better. 
I, well, I did wake up with, still with a little bit of a headache Saturday morning, but God took that away and I was able to focus and, and the message came together for me. But there's one more nugget in this text that I would like to expose. Let's look at verse 26. I want to read it again. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. This is like the final um, nugget that, or advice Paul is giving in dealing with the flesh. Don't be desirous of vainglory. So the first tool we, we, he gave us was serving each other. And Paul is basically reinforcing that tool here by saying that I should get over me and serve you. So in between those two, these two pieces of advice, he dealt with sins of the flesh that are so prevalent in the world around us. And we see those sins. Now we may not see witchcraft and emulations and some of those words that are hard to say. We may not be as aware of them as some of the others. But those sins are just, we see those sins around us. But now he gives us the hardest sin there is to deal with. It is my own desire for recognition, what he calls vainglory. Even the good things we do can be done out of a desire for recognition or vainglory. You see, the flesh does not die easy. It wants to stick itself into every aspect of our lives. And this, this sin of vainglory, it's almost impossible to, to conquer on our own. We have to have the Holy Spirit's help. And I know some of you have probably been, are probably on social media, and if you are, you've probably seen a lot about narcissism. I don't know. seems like I have. We have. Narcissism... And I don't fully understand what all that means, but it is basically, I'm more important than anybody else. That is exactly opposite of what Paul's teaching here. But it's so hard to see this sin in myself. And it's why we need the brotherhood. It's why we need a, our family to say, wait a minute. You realize how you're coming across there. It's quite often others can see this in us before we can see it in ourselves. We need each other. But we need the Holy Spirit's promptings to nudge us and say, wait a minute. That's not coming from me. That's coming from the flesh. So in this battle, we have one or two choices. You will either follow the flesh or the spirit. It's one or the other. There is no middle ground. And when we start turning a deaf ear to the spirit, we will start following the flesh. So which master are we going to follow? The flesh will destroy us sooner or later. Can't get around it. It's going to happen. We follow the flesh, we're going to die. The Holy Spirit brings freedom, joy, 
and peace and eternal life. We get to choose how far either one of those will take us. Let's have a song.